0: Hey, Pastor Sean here. Thank you so much for checking out our sermons online. I want to let you know whether this is your first time watching one of our sermons or you're just reviewing a sermon as you've heard here on the campus. I welcome you, but I do want to let you know we have a core value at Coastal Community Church and that core value is that you find a local church to be a part of. And so, uh, if this, Hopefully this sermon series or this sermon is supplementing your spiritual growth, but I want to encourage you to find a, a local church. If you live in the Yorktown, Virginia area, we would love for you to visit us. We have three services, uh, 8 o'clock, nine thirty, and 11, and we meet at 101 Village Avenue. Thank you so much for checking out this sermon online. I hope it encourages your walk and your journey with Jesus Christ. Good morning, Coastal Church. Great to see you this morning. Do me a favor, get your Bibles out, and uh, we're going to continue with our series. Above all, Christ, and and uh, we have been picking our way through Colossians, and we will do that throughout the summer. And so uh, we're finishing the first chapter this morning, if you can believe that. And uh, it's a four chapter letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a local church in the city of Colossae, and and, uh, and so we're finishing up the first one, and this morning is really uh, geared uh, towards believers. And, and so if you're, this morning you're investigating Christ, I'm, I'm kind of preaching at them this morning. And, and if, you're, uh, if you're new to Christ, I want to encourage you that you have a place in the church body. That's what the Bible calls the church. It's the body of Christ. You have a place to serve uh, there's a place for you to use your gifts and your talents and your passions uh, to, to link arms with other believers for the cause of Christ, and and uh, this was an interesting section for me uh, to try to figure out how to preach, and so I'm going to kind of go straight forward with it, but uh, I remember uh, myself and, and one of our longtime elders, uh, Jimmy Martin, told me this story many years ago when... When he first got into church life and serving in ministry, and I don't remember the exact circumstances, but I believe, if my memory serves, is that he was a small group leader at the time, and he was he was serving in this small group, and he's pouring out his time, he was pouring out his talent, his energy into these people that he loved and. At some point, one of the people in the group got frustrated with him or with the church or whatever, and the relationship got fractured, and he couldn't seem to reconcile it. And, and I believe, again, if my, if my memory serves right, this person ended up leaving the church. And so he went. To the senior pastor at the time, that wasn't me, and he's pouring out his heart and his disappointment. I mean, he's broken hearted that this person had left the church, and hoping that his pastor would give him great words of wisdom. And the pastor put his arm around him, looked him in the eye, and he said, "Jimmy." Welcome to ministry, and uh, you know, if you've ever served in ministry, you know that the reason you laugh, you're like, I know that to be true. Like, the, sometimes the people that you give the most effort to will, will be frustrated at you when you've given them the bulk of the effort, or they'll, they'll turn their, their life circumstances on you and be frustrated at you, and, and they may even turn on you completely, and you'll wonder why. You're like, man, this is a person that I've probably invested more in than, than anyone else, and, and you wonder why. Why and so the Apostle Paul here is is talking about his call to ministry okay and uh, now here's the danger in this a lot of you are going to think well uh, pastor Sean this morning is is preaching to a select few he's preaching to those who are called to vocational ministry and and that couldn't be further from the truth. The, at the root word of the word ministry is the word serve or serving or service, okay? And, and we looked at a couple of weeks ago how the Apostle Paul painted the picture that the church is the body of Christ. And so if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, uh, the Bible knows nothing of someone that's a church attender, all right? The Bible only paints the picture of a member of a church body, a local body, the church body. That means you have a a part to play. And so let me encourage you, if you're here this morning and this is your home church and you're not serving anywhere... To find a place of ministry and bethany 's sitting on the front row she 'll just stay here after the service if you want to serve somewhere, you come talk to her okay that 's her job at coastal and she is passionate about helping every person that calls this church a home church a place to serve on a regular basis we don 't exist as a ministry without our volunteers thousands and thousands of hours of volunteers i can 't tell you how many times we do a a baptism, and, and, and one of the things that when we do a baptism at Coastal where someone's professing Jesus as Lord and Savior, and, and we always tell the person being baptized, hey, you can ask whoever you want to baptize you. We don't think the Bible teaches it has to be a pastor that does the baptism, and so often it's a, it's a person that ministered to them, that met them at the door, that served them and their children, and the impact that a person's ministry has in the local church is incredible. And so much of my outline this morning, I'm just going to kind of say this off the top of my head as I was trying to wrestle with this text, man, how do I preach this, is, was really taken from John MacArthur's commentary on Colossians. So if you're ever reading that, you go, oh man, I, this sounds familiar. It's because I borrowed it, okay? So here we go. All right, let's just jump in. The first thing that Paul, he actually, this week's passage actually goes back a little bit into last week where we looked at Christ being a a, a, a it's reconciling us with his blood and with his broken body back to our creator, his heavenly father. So Paul, in, in in verses 20 to 23, is kind of spelling out the gospel and how we're saved from the penalty of our sin by the person and work of Christ. And then Paul says in verse 23, he says, I became a minister. I, Paul, became a minister or a servant of this gospel. And what I want to point out this morning, first of all, is it is God that calls to ministry. When you become a Christian. God calls us to serve others through, in the ministry of the local church. Now, to understand the the, Paul, the call of the Apostle Paul, we actually have to go to Acts 9. I'm not going to have you turn there this morning. But I want to pull a couple points out of Acts chapter 9. And hopefully you know the story of the Apostle Paul. His name originally was Saul. He was a persecutor of the church. He was Jewish. He saw the church as a divergent sect of Of true worship of Yahweh, and God had to stop him in his tracks and uh, uh, open his eyes to the truth of the ministry and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he's on this road being commissioned by the Jewish leaders called the Damascus, or he's going to a city called Damascus, and he's going there to find Christians and to persecute them. Separating families, putting people in prison, and in the middle of that, Jesus interrupts him essentially, right? blinds him for a season, and tells him, hey listen, I am now sending you, and he gave the apostle Paul a very unique ministry of taking the gospel message to the Gentiles. And this is one of, he often refers to this in his letters as the mystery of what God is doing, that, that most of the Jewish people thought, man, the whole, this whole worship of Yahweh was their thing. And Paul is now saying, no, it's a, it's a, it's a national thing. Every tribe, tongue, and nation will be around the, the throne of God. And so God is ultimately the source of our call to serve. If you're here, that's why I said the sermon is really for Christians. If you're a Christian this morning, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Paul talks about the Holy Spirit giving each of us a spiritual gift. Your gift is not about you. Your gift is for the body of Christ, and God has called you to serve. The second thing we see in Acts chapter 9 in Paul's journey is God affirms our call to serve through others. So if you remember in Acts chapter 9, there was a guy named Ananias that showed up, that the Lord appeared to him and said, I want you to take the Apostle Paul and encourage him and, and work with him. And God often uses our call to serve by, by others affirming it. So if you're here this morning and you, and you think you have a particular gift or a particular area to serve, I would encourage you to ask godly counsel around you that is not your mom, okay? Um, because you see this on American Idol or any of these singing shows, you know, when people audition and they're awful, and they're asked, man, how, why did you think you could sing? Well, my mom told me. Or find someone that's going to tell you no, okay? Like, you're not really that good, all right? So, uh, and so and one of the things I said this morning when I made the announcements, right, um, we, uh, I said, hey, well, we're looking for people to be on the music team. Well, guess what? There's an audition process because if you can't play or you can't sing, instead of enhancing our worship, what's going to happen? It's going to become a distraction, right? Man, that person's way off or whatever. And, and they love Jesus and they love their guitar. They're just not great at it, okay? And somebody's got to say, well, maybe there's another place for you to serve. Some of you are like, I can't believe you're saying this. Let's just move on to point two. All right, so... Um and so there's the call to serve, and God is the ultimate one that calls us to serve. He gives us a gift. He gives us a place to serve. The second thing we see out of the Apostle Paul here in his letter is the attitude of ministry. If you've ever served anywhere, the attitude of ministry is joy. We serve with joy. And so Paul says in Colossians one twenty four, he says, Now I rejoice. Now I rejoice. Now listen, as we unpack this letter this morning, you're going to see... That Paul suffered for the cause of the gospel. Difficult, difficult ministry. I'll tell you one of the things that prepping this letter of Colossians has awakened my eyes to, and I knew this, but as I've given extra attention to it this summer, is just how difficult the Apostle Paul's ministry was and how much he gave up for the service of the local church, how much he believed in the local church, yet. Every time he talks about his call to ministry, he talks about joy, man. I do it with joy. Now, joy is not the same as happiness, okay? Although I think there's some personal fulfillment in ministry. But, but I think a lot of times Christians, we serve in an area for a while and we lose our joy. And we get burned out. And, and, my, and I've done this. I've served without joy for seasons in my ministry. And I've been doing it a long time as a senior pastor and, and 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 a couple things i've noticed in my own life when i'm serving without joy there's usually one of two things going on number 1 I've, either, I've potentially lost my focus on christ i have stopped in my behind the scenes in my own life really on a regular daily basis feasting on christ him being my worship him capturing my heart me taking time to carve out time to be in the word and to be in prayer. And i tell you, the older I get, the more prayer is just such a refreshing tool for my soul, you know. And I've learned that prayer is not so much about the people I'm praying for as it is just for me to offer up the burdens that I have and the burdens of the people before the Lord and let him take care of others. And, and, and man, and when I'm not Sabbathing and when I'm not feasting on Christ, suddenly my serving and my ministry loses its joy. That's number one. The other thing I've noticed in my own life when I, when I lose my joy is I, I, if I really am honest, I'll sit back and say, you know what? I'm serving with a sense of self-centeredness. I'm worried about me. If I'm really honest, self-centeredness is this idea that I somehow think that I deserve better than the way I'm being treated. Or I deserve some form of recognition, right? You're, when, when you lose joy, it's because, man, I'm serving this person or these people, and, and nobody's noticing, right? The cards have stopped, the phone calls of Thanksgiving. There's some kind of, uh, of something that goes on, right? And, and no one thanks you, right? And, and when that happens, man, suddenly my joy is zapped. And, and when my joy is taken away, it's usually because I'm worried about me as opposed to worrying about the kingdom and Christ being lifted up in the hearts of others. And so if, you, if you're serving, I want to encourage you, and we're gonna, I'm going to finish this morning with how we, we kind of have a, a, an eternal perspective when it, when it comes to serving God by serving others. And so Paul, even though he's suffering for the gospel, he, he serves with joy. The third thing I want you to see this morning is, is when you serve in ministry, there will be difficulty. All right? Don't let anyone tell you differently. When you serve, there will be difficulty and even the word suffering. The Apostle Paul says this in Colossians one twenty four. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh... Now, by the way, let me pause here before I read this next passage, all right? Everybody look at me. Let me see your pretty little eyes, okay? This is one of the most difficult sentences in all of the New Testament to translate, all right? I have read it and reread it and gulped as I read it. I'm going to gulp as I read it out loud, okay? So here we go. All right, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is... Church, anybody else here gulp at that okay i 'm gulping all right, like what in the world does that mean? all right so so let me just say this. This is a difficult verse, tough one to translate. there's several words in the original language here in the Greek language that aren 't used anywhere in the Bible, so it 's very difficult for even to get other biblical nuances of these words uh, and one of the things I love. Love, love, love for those of you who love biblical scholarship. One of the things I love about difficult passages in the Bible is that it actually affirms for me that it's a God-written book and not a man-written book. Because if it was a man-written book with a man-made theology, if I was writing it, what would I do? I'd take out all the difficult verses, right? I'd make sure it was always easy to understand. And so for me, this encourages my heart that there's times to wrestle with the Word of God. Okay, and there's a couple of things that make this passage difficult. Okay, it's the word filling up. The word filling up where Paul says, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking, not used anywhere else in the Bible. So we don't, we don't exactly know the nuance of the word. All right? And, and the other thing that we have to look back, and so we let, one of the phrases I use when come to difficult passages, we let the clear passages of Scripture help us interpret unclear passages of Scripture. So what is clear in Scripture? Well, we know that there is no deficiency in the work of Christ to save man from their sin. All right? We just, we just saw that in verses 20 to 23, that it is the body, the broken body of Christ that is sufficient to pay for all the sins of all mankind, all right? And that's Colossians one twenty one to twenty three makes that clear. The second thing is the word affliction, where Paul's talking about the affliction is never actually used to talk about the crucifixion of Christ. All right. So when he's talking about his afflict the affliction, he's not talking about some shortcoming in the crucifixion of christ he 's talking about his own suffering in the ministry so here 's what I think this verse means all right I think that it probably means that Paul is saying, and which he says all over the New Testament, that he is suffering for the cause of Christ, and he 's doing it in such a way as to protect this infant church all right so he here 's this new church the church is is probably fit the church in general is probably third less than 30 years old as churches are being planted around asia minor and i think he understands that god had a unique call in his life to suffer in a way that protected this church in its infancy. The same way you would do as a parent, would do whatever you needed to do to protect your baby child, right? And so I think he knew, man, I'm, I'm kind of taking one for the team, if you will, in order for the church to thrive and grow. And, and so I also think he's teaching us, man, following Christ and serving is never going to be easy. And I want to encourage you this morning because I think, that one of the false teachings that's been birthed out of American culture especially is this idea that if you follow Christ, it's always going to be easy. If you follow, and I think we take a lot of passages of Scripture that definitely tell us about blessing, and we import it into the here and now, when oftentimes I think we're supposed to be looking to that as eternal reward. And I always say we live in the now and the not yet of the kingdom, right? So is the kingdom now? Yes. Is the kingdom not yet? Yes. So which is it right it's happening to us right now? We don't always know. We don't always know. And so I think we need to expect as Christians to prepare that even when we serve there's going to be suffering, right? And suffering's important. Why? Well, first of all, it brings us closer to Christ. And if you go through a difficult time, I don't know about you, but when I'm going through a difficult time, I I, I lean more heavily into Christ. I lean more heavily into my spiritual disciplines. I feast more regularly. Man, I really need Christ when I'm suffering. The second thing, suffering assures us that we belong to Christ. Jesus told us that in John 15. He said, if the world hated me, guess what? Of course it's going to hate you. It makes us as sure as we belong to Christ. Suffering brings eternal reward. Romans eight tells us that if we're if we're we we will inherit the uh, the inheritance of Christ. Romans eight, if indeed we suffer with Him. And suffering results in the salvation of others. And Christ was the example of that. By his, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, man, I will draw all men to myself. And so, man, when we're going through difficult times, we can also be excited that God can use our suffering and our difficulty for the gospel to go forward. And so we can expect challenges when we minister, all right? We can expect to go through difficult times when we minister, Number four, I think Paul gives us the scope of ministry. What, what in the world is, what should we be thinking about in regards to how big or how many people we can touch? In Colossians 1, verse 25, Paul says, Of which I became a minister according to, and I want you to hear this word, the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God more fully known. Notice that he sees his ministry as a stewardship from the Lord. So if God calls us in the ministry, then we steward the ministry. It doesn't belong to you, right? I say, I know a lot of times people will say to me, hey, I'm, can I use your office? I always say, it's not my office. It's not, it's just on loan to me. It's just on loan to me. I'm a steward of Of the ministry that God has given me, you're a steward of the ministry that God has given you, and this is encouraging to me because listen, there's there's no way for us to minister an individual person to minister to everybody, right? And by the way, when you think you can minister to everybody, you're really taking on the role of the Holy Spirit. You're not Jesus to everybody. You can't minister to everybody. You you have a you have a limited scope and you have a limited capacity. I can't Pastor Sean can't touch every individual personally at Coastal Community Church. I wish I could. It breaks my heart that I can't. But but one of the things that I often think about on a weekend weekend basis is the time that I set aside to study and prepare my sermon. Like I think, man, that's that's probably the thing that I can do that can be the greatest gift to the most amount of people. So if you ever call into Coastal Community Church and the secretary's like, well, he's studying today, you know, I, that could be a disappointment potentially, although it might not be. You get somebody better than me, but, uh, you know, more, way more helpful than me. But, but, you know, but it also, I want you to think through as a church body, like, oh, he, that's his gift. That's his stewarding the time to, to touch the body. And, and for you, like, you're limited in scope and, and in capacity, And so that's why the Apostle Paul calls the church the body of Christ. That's why you're needed as a place to serve in the ministry because no one person can touch everybody. God has called all of us into the ministry. Now, Jesus knew the scope of his ministry, actually, and we see this throughout the Gospels, right? Jesus knew the scope of his ministry. He ministered inside of the will of God, first of all we see Jesus say that in John chapter 5, right? Where he says, "Man, I, I you know, I do what the Father's will is for me." Jesus knew the timing of God's will for him. There's multiple times where Jesus is encouraged, people are encouraging Jesus to do something, and what does he say? "My time hasn't yet come." And Jesus knew the objective of his ministry in Matthew chapter 5. Right? Jesus says I, he spent the bulk of his ministry to the house of Israel, the people of Israel. He didn't go to the Gentiles. He didn't go to all the nations. He raised up the, uh, the apostles, the disciples to do that. And in particular, he raised up the apostle Paul. He knew the scope of his ministry. Jesus also focused on the kingdom of God. Listen, Christians, I want to encourage you. If you're here this morning, our greatest gift to the world around us is the heralding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your greatest gift to the people around you is to to give everybody in your sphere of influence the opportunity to hear the gospel, to connect to their creator through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. I see way too many Christians getting all spun up on Facebook about politics. Politics, I, I... For me, listen, I have strong opinions about politics, but, man, I am not expending my chips on Facebook with people making personal withdrawals about the next president. I far rather do it about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's where I will make my withdrawals. We don't see Jesus calling out politics or calling out justice initiatives. He's just talking to people about how to connect to their creator through him. And I think as Christians, we need to recapture that a little bit and be excited about the gospel because that is really the scope of our ministry is the kingdom of God. The third thing we see in Jesus' ministry and his scope is he poured out his life for a select few. Right? Now, listen, he ministered to the masses, but I'll tell you what, every time the masses got really large, he, he would say something really radical and then half of them would leave, right? He, he never was concerned about the masses. He poured himself out to a select few. We know he had 12 disciples that he emptied himself in. But even, even inside the 12 disciples, what did Jesus do? Peter, James, and John, right? He had three that he really ministered to and he poured himself into. And one of the things, when Pastor Andrew came on staff a few years ago, he... Um, he encouraged all of us on staff to each year be emptying ourselves into three people. He said, everybody should have three people that they're pouring themselves into the way Christ did. And I want to encourage you, if you're here this morning, you're a believer, there are three people that you can invest in in your life. And and it's, like I know a lot of times people get like, man, what does that mean? Like, it's super simple. Like, hey, let's get together for coffee every Thursday morning at 6.30 a.m. And we're going to... Do a book together. Go through a We'll go through Colossians. We'll take the sermon notes and small group questions that Coastal provides, and we'll hang out with three people and get to know them. and, and it's just kind of it's it's relational, and it's you pouring your life into three people because you, as a Christian, have something to give to someone else to mature them and train others in the ministry. And so we're aware of the scope of our ministry. And by the way, I also believe there's seasons of life. This is a side note, right? There's seasons of life to do ministry. Um, my young families, you're here this morning, you're a young family. Listen, you're, when you have children that are young, you know, you're in the, the what I like to affectionately call the ankle-biter stage. You know, you're in the ankle-biter stage, and, like, that's hard. And that, that requires a tremendous amount of time, right? And, and and. and and that's your the bulk. That doesn't mean there's not a place for you to serve in the church, but I think we have to. Be, you have to be careful, right? How many ministries can I take on in that season? I want to encourage you to to be careful. Take one or two, but but limit it. You're you're not the savior of the church, all right? Jesus is. If you're here this morning and you're single. Right, you're single. The Apostle Paul talking. We we talked about this last year. Last year when we went through First Corinthians, if you're single, guess what? You have less cares of the world, and you can give more time to ministering to inside the church body right if you're here this morning you're a single parent then then you're pulling double duty right and so your family is a little bit more of the focus in that season but if you're here this morning and you're an empty nester guess what you have some time on your hands to minister and God you know if God has blessed your finances and your time in such a way that you can give a little more time to serve in the ministry let me encourage you to do so know the scope of your ministry all right number five the message of the ministry the apostle Paul gives us the message of the ministry Paul says this in verse 26. He says, The mystery, hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, let me start here with the word mystery, all right? The word mystery. I want you to know this. God doesn't tell us everything, right? I hope you know that. For those of you who are deep thinkers, and I know there's a bunch of you in this room this morning, and you love to think about the scriptures and, 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 and there, there are, and so Paul here, I think, is talking specifically, he uses this phrase throughout the New Testament, the mystery of the grafting in of the Gentiles to this, 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 this new covenant thing that God is doing that has, that, where the church houses both Jews and Gentiles together, and this was a new thing to, to Jewish believers, to be sure. But I also think there's, it's great to pause and go, "You know what, God doesn't tell us everything." Thing. There's some things that I, that you can't get your head around. And you have to be okay with that, because if you could get your head around it, then I think God would cease to be God, right? If, if I knew everything there was to know about God. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of his law. God has given us enough to know him, Okay? God has given us enough to know how to be saved from our sin. God has given us enough to know how to build a life, how to build a healthy church, how to build healthy families, how to build a healthy society, but there are mysteries, and there are mysteries that I can't get my head around, okay? I I still cannot get my head around the doctrine of the Trinity, right? I I fully recognize that the scriptures teach that, that God is one, and yet he's revealed himself in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I can read the scriptures. Understand it. Each of these three persons seem to have some s- distinct responsibilities, yet they're still one. And some there are times where people come to me and like, "Man, help me understand that." I'm like, "I don't understand it. It's mysterious to me. It's clear to me in Scripture, but it's mysterious to me." Right? The doctrine of election. Let's get like people get real uncomfortable, right? That I think the scriptures teach that before the foundations of the world, God chose who He was going to save, and He saves them. Yet, at the same time, all of humanity has a responsibility to respond to the gospel. These seem to be competing truths. I can't get my head around it, but they're both taught in Scripture. And I know my job and our job as a church is to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, and whoever God has chosen will respond to the gospel. That's what I know. How all the mystery of that works itself out, I don't know. There are things that inside the, God, the mind of God that I don't know. And I'm okay with that because he's God and I'm not. And that should make you happy, by the way, all right? It makes my wife happy. I know that. And so there's mysteries. And we don't have to get all hung up on the things that we don't know. Man, I have a hard enough time responding to the things that I do know. And what I do know is the gospel. And what is the gospel? Paul says, man, the gospel is Jesus in you. What does it mean? to, To know God, it's to have Jesus in you. The message of the gospel is not that God is a distant God. The message of the gospel is not that God is only working with one nation the Jewish people in this particular instance, the message of the gospel is not that God is working with just one gender, that one gender is better than another gender. That's not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is every single human being has the same obligation and the same opportunity to repent of their sins and bow a knee to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And when we do that, Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, takes up residence inside of us. And so Jesus is in you. Every person has this opportunity. Isn't that great news? Christ in you. In fact, Jesus said it quite shockingly in John chapter 6, right? When he said this in John 6, 53. And by the way, this gets back to what I said earlier, where Jesus, when the crowds got too big, he'd always say something weird, okay? And here it is. This is weird. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat my flesh or eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, You have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. He's talking about manna, okay, and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. What in the world is Jesus saying, right? I mean, it's being borderline gross, but he's attempting to be shocking so that we understand that to be a Christian, Jesus lives in us. To be a Christian means you are consumed with Jesus. To be a Christian is not that Jesus is attack on, that we go to church on Sunday morning and we check the religious duty box and now God is somehow happy with you. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you're consumed with Christ because he's in you. He touches everything. He touches your marriage. He touches your mouth. He touches your entertainment. He touches your money. He touches everything because he's Jesus in you. And your heart and your mind are consumed with doing things the way Jesus has us to do them. Why? Because we worship him. Because he's in us. He's all in all. And Paul says, it's Jesus in you? And then he says, the hope of glory. The hope of eternity. And so when we do ministry in the context of this section, Paul's like, I do ministry with the hope of promoting the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he died for our sins, he lives in us, and he grants eternal life. And so all of our ministry, and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that even when we do justice ministries, even when we feed the hungry and we, we take a, maybe a humanitarian missions trip, which we do. I know we sent a team to... Um, to Jordan, which we highlighted, was a medical team. We did medicine, but we did medicine with the purpose of introducing people to Christ. It's never the justice ministry as an end to itself. It is always for the purpose that people, we give out bread at Coastal Community Church the third Saturday of every month with the hope of, man, we want to build a relationship with you so that you'll know the bread of life. If we ever detach the end of that, we should stop doing the justice ministry. I know that's a, an extreme statement, but it's true. Because otherwise, we're just sending people with full bellies to eternity without Christ. We don't want to do that. We want to to make sure it's the hope of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Number six, the goal of ministry is spiritual maturity. The goal of ministry is spiritual maturity. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. The goal of Paul's ministry was maturity in Christ. Our goal as a church to make disciples. We, at Coastal Community Church, we say our vision, our, what we're here, why we exist is develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. I try, we try to filter everything we do through that lens. It's, are we maturing people in Christ? Are we introducing them to the gospel, and are we maturing them? And Paul says, how do we do this? We use the wisdom that God get, has given us to both teach and admonish teach and admonish. Teaching is a positive positive thing, and admonishing is kind of the negative side. And by the way, we use both of those in our parenting, right? There's times where maybe your children do something wrong, and instead of admonishing them, you sit them down, and you use an opportunity to display grace, but to teach them. There's other times where, man, there has to be some negative consequences to understand, man, I'm admonishing you at this moment. We do the same thing when we mature anyone around us. There's a moment for, and this is where wisdom comes in. Is this a moment to teach, or is this a moment to admonish? And we have, to know, and through wisdom, we should know that, right? And so Paul says, my goal is to mature people through teaching and admonishing. And finally, Paul says this, right? The final thing this morning is perseverance in ministry. I want you to see this Colossians one twenty nine. If you're here this morning, there's an area you're serving in at Coastal, and you're weary, okay, and you're weary. So, so let me say this: there is a time for what I would call a Sabbath, right? Maybe you need a little rest, but it's not a rest to never come back. And when you come back, okay, I want to encourage you that it is hard work. And Paul says that. He says in Colossians 129, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Okay, let me hear, I want you to hear me say this this morning. Ministry is not easy. There's some of you in this room that are thinking about vocational ministry, all right? Man, if that's you, I'm, I want to encourage you, vocational ministry is probably one of the toughest things you'll ever do, because it, it it requires, it's mental, it's emotional, it's spiritual, and it's physical. It's all of those. I, uh, my parents, I told you last weekend, I went up to my parents' 50th wedding anniversary, and me and my siblings, each went around the room said something nice to my parents, and, and I said to my parents, I said, uh, my parents are incredibly hardworking people. I said, you guys are some of the the hardest working people I've ever met. I mean, they work and work and work. I said, so through that, you encouraged me to stay in school and find a place of employment that you only work one day a week. So I'd like to thank you for that encouragement. but um, But that's a joke, okay? But... But I think a lot of people see that. But listen, if you're thinking about vocation, it's incredibly difficult. If you're serving in a, in a volunteer ministry, it's incredibly difficult because it's all of these things. Because you're dealing with people that you're working to mature. And so the idea is people are immature, people are broken, people are sinful, people will let you down, right? And so Paul says, I toil, which means to work hard, and he also says, I struggle, which the word there is the idea of, of intense preparation for an athletic event. So it's, it, the idea is it's like going to practice, you know, and it's difficult and you're doing it and you're doing it and doing it with an end in mind. And so if you're going to serve for a long period of time, it requires that you have the idea that that you feast daily on Christ, and I'm running a marathon. I'm not running a sprint. And so the second thing we see here is that this toiling, this difficulty is by the strength that God provides. I love this verse because it, to me it marries two important truths. It marries human responsibility with God's sovereignty, right? We see Paul saying, I toil, but, man, I can't do it unless Christ is in me, unless God gives me the strength. I had a professor in seminary who said it this way. He said, God ordinarily works as we work. That's the means of his grace. Just because God is sovereign, just because God is going to do it, just because God can do it without you, doesn't mean that we sit lazily by and do nothing. To me, the sovereignty of God is... Is an incredible opportunity to join with God in what He's doing. I see the sovereignty of God as opportunity. I want to be where God is. Don't you? I want to be what doing what God is doing, and that is furthering His kingdom through the local church. And if God, but the opposite, the, the other tension in that is God's not working; we're not doing anything. Psalm one twenty seven is one of my favorite verses, man. I. I meditate on this verse frequently. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. At the end of the day, man, it is God that is working in and through us. And so let me encourage you this morning. If you're serving in ministry, which I know many, many of you are, do it with a long view. Do it with perseverance. Do it with the scope of God's doing it. Do it with the idea of maturing people towards Christ. And I want to tell you, if you're volunteering at Coastal, thank you so much. We couldn't do it without you. Coastal requires thousands of volunteer hours to exist. Thousands. And all of you are a part of the body. 1 Corinthians 15, the last verse of 1 Corinthians 15 is an incredible verse to me, by the way. 1 Corinthians 15 is is probably, in my opinion, one of the linchpins of the New Testament, really. Paul Paul's building the case to the church of Corinth that all of Christianity hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says, if there's no resurrection, your, your faith's in vain, what we're doing is in vain, uh, you know. Everything hinges on Christ being raised from the dead, and then he talks about because His holy because Christ is in you, the Holy Spirit is in you, the hope of glory. Jesus is the first fruits of a resurrection of all of us that believe in Him. And so, if you're here this morning and you buried a loved one this year that's a believer, man, you have the hope that just as Christ was raised from the dead, your loved one is going to you're going to be raised from the dead one day, right? And so in verse 58 of 1 Corinthians, you can probably put this up now, verse 58 is the very last verse, and Paul says, therefore. Whenever you're reading your New Testament, especially Paul's letters, and you see the, the, the word therefore, this is the so what of, of his teaching, right? And so here you have 1 Corinthians 15, he's building this case of the resurrection, and he hears his so what, okay? He says, therefore, because there's a resurrection, because there's eternal life, he says, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable. Always abounding in entertaining yourself, right? Now, what? Always abounding in what, church? The work of the Lord. And why should we always be doing that? Knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. The focus of your ministry needs to be worshiping Christ and eternal life. Set your focus on the fact that the Lord sees and the Lord rewards. You could be serving in an area and you never get an attaboy. Oh, wait a minute. That's not true. Your labor's not in vain. Your labor's not in vain. Your labor's not in vain. The Lord sees, the Lord rewards. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the message of the gospel. Thank you for the hope of eternal life. Thank you for your church, God. I pray for the one in this body right now that came this morning and they've been serving and they're discouraged. May they be encouraged by the message of the Apostle Paul. May they be serving as unto the Lord, who is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Thank you for that truth. Thank you that you see and you reward. Help us to serve with perseverance for the cause of the gospel, that the gospel may go forward to the ends of the earth. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.